understanding who I was and understanding who I became and understanding who I could be was very important at that moment. Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead. Follow your different. And uh, we are sponsored by the good people at Oracle NetSuite. To learn how to turbocharge the growth of your business, check out netsuite.com slash different today. And there you'll be able to uh, set yourself up for a free one-hour growth review for your business at netsuite.com slash different. Uh, today, we have a, an extraordinary episode with my friend, Will Little. Um, here's what I know. His story of personal transformation is about as powerful and dramatic and inspiring as you can imagine, Will went from being a young man on the wrong side of the tracks in gangs uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, he grew up in, you know, what anybody would call a very challenging environment. And um, along the line, he got into a horrible gunfight. And in that gunfight, he took another man's life. For that, he served 10 years in jail. And today, he's a barber, a poet, and a legendary keynote speaker. This is actually his third time with us. And um, I think on this episode, Will will challenge and expand your ideas of redemption and forgiveness and personal transformation. If you had told me before I met Will that I would become friends with somebody who's convicted of murder and uh, respect and admire and uh, want to learn from and support a man like that, I would have told you that was not possible, but that's exactly what's happened for me as I've gotten to know Will. You'll gain insights in our conversation into how to go from really the lowest place you can imagine to a life of peace and a life of purpose and learn things that hopefully you can immediately apply in your own life. For more on Will's background, uh, go to Lockhead.com and check out the show notes for this episode. And um, also, at the beginning of the conversation, you'll hear Will talking about a man named Kadir. Kadir is the brother of the man whose life Will took. All right. Hey-ho, let's go. How would you feel if someone killed your brother? You know, and we had conversations with a few guys already, and the first response is kill him. You know, I'll kill him. Oh, we kill my brother, I'm kill him. It's only right. You know, so there's no other recourse like for them, not telling the cops, stuff like that. And it kind of puts that kind of thought process and that conversation, that dialogue amongst young people kind of puts those other young people in a position where though they have no other alternative but to hear the voice of the streets, even if they're not built like that, even if they're not in the streets like that, you know? So a lot of guys who are not maybe going to school, going to college, and, and their brother wound up getting caught up and shot by mistake or killed on the street, now he is forced to go out and pick up a gun and go out there and kill somebody because this is what the street says you must do. So by us going around and talking and telling our real story, to real people saying, no, this, this is not what you have to do. You don't have to be that person. You know, you can be who you are. I mean, get to a level of, of, of healing, most importantly. I mean, and that's, that's a process in itself. Like I said, it took them 25 years. So that's a process in itself. But knowing that there are some, some people out here that really went against the game, went against the grain, went against the street code, went against all those particular things that we thought was real, I mean, to really become real human beings and just say, look, let's, let's squash it. 
and just be a piece and just try to work together and grow and learn and heal at the same time. You know, so. And it seems like we have a real problem with young men in our culture today. I mean, there's a street gang violence that, that we have become numb to because it happens so much. Uh, the, the mass killings that happen, you know, these horrible school shootings and things along these lines. And so, Will, what's your message, particularly to young men and young men who maybe feel anger or who feel disconnected or disenfranchised? Well, the thing is that we're not having the conversation they need to hear. Because as I walk around by myself, I grip up a few young guys or one young guy by himself sometimes, maybe affiliated with a group of guys. But because they know me from the barbershop, they might have been in there as kids or whatever. If I'm in another part of the city, West Philly or Germantown, somebody speak to me by rec- recognition, I'll come on and pull them over and talk to them and just say, you know, what's going on in your mind? What's, what you trying to do I mean, for the rest of your life? And we have a real talk. And in having that real talk, you know, I'll be able to break things down to them about how you become successful, how you change your, your, your frame of thought process, how you rewire your brain, how your emotions are attached to everything you do, how you live in your past because you're affected by the feelings that you feel every day about things that happen in your life and your experience. I mean, so just giving them the real knowledge, I mean, on how to be able to come out of this, that funk in their mind and that, and that ignorant mentality to see that there's possibility in my life because a lot of them see possibility in their life. They just think they're secluded to this, 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 this four block radius of where they live at and where they're from, you know, and they try to own, claim ownership over that, which they don't have no real estate in. At the same time, knowing that the world is bigger than what it is. And just by telling my story, where I've been at, where I'm going, I'm flying around the country speaking, telling my, sharing my story. And you would think that would not be possible for a convicted murderer, you know? So showing them that things are possible, seeing this believing to a lot of people, a lot of people who, who are creative, who are, who are, um, self-motivated, who are visionary, and we can see it without it being, uh, without it happening. Most people got to see it happening in order for them to believe it. So yeah. by me showing them who I am and telling them my story, and if they didn't read it in the paper or see it on the news already, then they already kind of like figure out, all right, this is what I need to know. Even when I went to California and I talked to some of the young men in, in California in the group homes, you know, one of the kids had a felony. He's like, man, I, I think nothing was possible for me. So I thought I had to go back out of the street and do the same thing all over again because I got a felony. So he keep telling me because of my felony, I can't do nothing. I ain't going to be able to get no job. I ain't going to do this and that. But seeing you flying all over here to California telling your story, I believe I can do something now. So it's just about having a conversation with these young men. We're not yeah. having that. Yeah. And so, I mean, you are somebody who found hope. You are somebody who found forgiveness and ultimately somebody who found peace coming from a background and a life and a set of experiences that, you know, I'll never forget when we sat down with Bix Bixen and uh, my buddy Colin asked him about you. Obviously you were there and you might remember, he asked Bix, remember this on a scale of one to 10, how, uh, how hard was the transformation that you made? And Bix said it was a 10. Mm -hmm. And so, how all of us have moments of self-hate all of us have moments where we feel like we've done some things that you we can't recover from you know what what would you share to somebody who's feeling terrible about themselves in that deep deep profound way well i would tell them to think about future 
think about your future and how you want it to be. You know, so if you think about your future and how you want it to be, like Bix, Bixon was really explaining to, to us, that I get it even more now from more studying, is that most people live in their past. So you live in your past because your pers- your, the people, places, and things you've been at have some kind of um, effect on you because there's an experience associated with those places, people, and things. And with that experience becomes an emotion, and that emotion comes a feeling. So when you start having that feeling, you put yourself in a mood. In a certain mood, in your mindset, sadness, depression, anger, frustration, whatever it is, in order to change that, we had to start looking forward to the future and start looking at better things, like showing gratitude for what we have and everything we have. But looking forward to you know, a better day happening, and then we continue to look forward to that better day, then it come to fruition. We start creating those great days that we want to have. Instead of continue to look in the past and reflect on um, what is really hurting us, you know, or what we experienced, and we can stay stuck in that in that in that mood so long, it becomes a character trait, you know, and becomes a part of your personality, and then that's all you have, you know. So yeah, if you want to live a, a better life or a greater life, then you got to think greater than your circumstance. And how do you, you know, of course, I'm not a parent, Will, but uh, of course, and you are. And um, children are so much a reflection of their parents in so many ways because they model the, the, their parents' behavior. And as children, we're, we're impacted by the experience. And you can't argue the past of our parents, right? right. And so right. how do you make sure that your kids sort of are influenced by, if I could put it this way, maybe you tell me how you think about it, but the best parts of you and not the worst parts of you, if I could think about it that way. How, how do you be a great parent for your kids? Well, by example, for one, you know, um, most people learn from behavior. They're not learn by, they don't learn from what they're taught. They learn from behavior. So just by being an example to what I'm sharing with them, what I'm teaching them and showing them what I'm doing, telling them what projects I'm working on, you know, Tell them how hard it is and the struggle was for me getting out of prison. Letting them read the book that I wrote, my autobiography, and, and seeing their father as a teenager like they are now today. And things I had to go through, the trials and relations I had without having a father. And that they're blessed to have a father with experience of the streets, you know, because the streets are very influencing. I'll tell you, this something happened to my son the other day, um, like five days ago, probably five days ago, really traumatic to him, you know. My, my middle son, he's 19 years old, just got out of high school, and I uh, was working for a while, like three years, since he was 16, 17, 18, wound up losing his job, and um, now he's like home with his mom. So he's been, he has a lot of idle time now, and I try to get him to come to my house sometimes, look for him, we sit there and bust it up, and start a new career. But him being out late at night, one night, him and his uncle, his uncle's young too, his uncle's probably 22. A guy walks up on him the other day, asks him, who is he? Because my son don't be out. He's, he's not, he's like a work guy and go home, school guy and go home. So now he's hanging out. The guy walks up on him, like, who are you? Though so my son, he has a kind of a, a little temper like I had when I was young. You know, so he responds, to, you know, responds with, with an arrogant tone, like, who is you? Like, asking me, like, who I am. Like, so the boy was like, I asked you, ask you a question, like, who are you? What you doing around here? So my son started getting smart with him. So the boy pulled the gun out of him, put him in his face, pointed at it. So, well, Sunset just backed up, and then the dude just walked off. I mean, so now 
it's a traumatic. Oh, hold on, I hate to interrupt you, Will. But w- w- so the guy pulls the gun, and then uh, what happened? And he told my son, make a move. So my make son, a move. yeah, he just stood there and just looked. And then the boy just put the gun away, and he walked away. So now, like my son is not in the streets, he don't carry guns, none of these things. He never experienced, I mean, he experienced that before when somebody tried to rob him for his phone when he was like 16 years old. Um, but in this kind of environment, you know, I try to protect them and give them street smarts and things, how to do if certain things occur because they do occur. And unfortunately, a lot of the kids that are getting shot and killed are children who are not really in the streets. So they're being preyed on because they're not kids who are violent. I mean, and kids are taking advantage of other children who are really not from the streets. So it's an easy prey. I mean, it's an easy reputation. They look like easy victims, right? Exactly, easy victims. So my thing for him was like, why are you outside this time of night, 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night? You're 19 years old, you're grown, but there's certain things about these streets you don't know nothing about. I mean, and because you're hanging on the corner, whereas though you didn't come up one, I said, anything can happen. I mean, these dudes can do something to somebody, which the guy really was coming around and looking for somebody, and he just happened to run into my son. Right. So you used to come a place where guys are looking for people, they're going to war with other guys, and you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time because you really should have been home. You shouldn't have been outside. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's and, interesting because in self-defense training, of course, we teach people rule number one, don't put yourself in a dumb place. Rule number two, right. the minute you realize you're in a dumb place, get out of that place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. There's nothing cool about like, I'm going to stand on this nasty street corner at 1 a.m. or whatever and pretend to be Batman. Right. That's not right. right. There's nothing cool about that. Yeah, but see, even in certain in certain daytimes, you can stand on certain corners. Certain night times, you can't. And the thing is that more so, if you're naive to how the streets really are, I mean, in the moments that they are violent, then of course you can become victimized. Like you can walk anywhere in the community and be okay. But if you're if somebody approaches you, I said, if somebody approaches you and asks you who you are, nine times out of ten they have a weapon on. Because nobody just gonna walk up to anybody and say anything to them. Because everybody carry guns, just about. So knowing that you probably had a T-shirt on and then you can see that there's no weapon on you at all, I mean, then that you're another young guy um, that he don't know and, and, and maybe don't just move around the neighborhood or something like that. So now he's easy, you're easy prey now. You're an easy victim. And the guy's not even from around here himself because he's going around here looking for somebody that he's looking for. So now he's looking for somebody to shoot but he can't find a person he really wants. I mean, so it's just your mindset. You got to prepare them for the streets as they get older. Like, when he was 12 and 13, he was occupied, was busy working football and everything else. Now he's older, and now he's bitching out in the streets. And it's a whole different dynamic when it comes to this approach. I said, this is something you don't know nothing about. I mean, so I why do you think this guy with the gun backed off? I mean, maybe he wanted to scare him or something, you know what I'm saying? Or maybe he knew it wasn't, it made him, he wanted to get the person he probably wanted to get, too. I mean, so him, him shooting him, not knowing who he is, that's another right. thing. You don't know who the person is. You don't know who his family is. And like, you don't know who I am. So I eventually called his father because I, I know the guy. I found out who the guy was. You know, the guy, you know the kid's father who pulled the yes. gun. Yes. <laughs> I know everybody in South Philly. So there's no thing. Like, they don't know he's my son, but I know everybody. So once somebody told me about it, he asked, my son asked me, how you find out about it? I hear everything. My ears to the street. So everybody tells me, they know you. They know my son. They find out you're my son. Somebody going to tell me. Anything you do. I mean, just like my other son. Because so, you're the you're the mayor of South Philly. <laughs> nah, not really, <laughs> but people respect they respect me. They respect what I do. Yeah, they, they know who I you are. So you what know? happened when you called this kid's uh, father? 
Well, the father actually, I, I looked for him. I couldn't have his number, so somebody gave him my number. He finally called me, but we grew up together. Me and the kid's father grew up together. Like, grew up together since we were kids, teenagers. Yeah. You know, so um, he apologized. He was very apologetic to it, you know, and he's like, well, I apologize. I'm sorry. I didn't know that he, my son know who you are. He know that was his son. But then he tried to deny it at first that it wasn't him. But I'm, I told his father, like, yo, people around there seen him. You know, my other son was out there too, but he was down the street. So I said, even my son said he seen him walk down the street, but he didn't know what he was doing. You know, so um, I said, it's going to be ceased right now. It's, it's ceased for now. Just let him know that, you know, that's my son. I mean, but really, you should check your son because he's, he's getting in a lot of trouble. I mean, and because you're not checking him, I mean, that could fall on you. Yeah. Because you his father. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I mean, if you're underage and your child commits a crime, um, you know, you're responsible for that child, right? If the child's not 18. No, not no. He's he's probably older than eighteen, but not only that, but your response as far as the streets are concerned. Well, yeah, there's I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, so that's another that's another thing that you got to deal with. And then you're a working man, working class citizen. You really got to get control of your kids. I mean, yeah. so that's fortunately. I mean, he didn't pull that trigger. I mean, I mean, it would have been like you know another problem, a bigger problem. But at the same time, it's like it's you try to educate the community and get them out ahead of the problem. And a lot of them so nonchalant when it comes to violence, and your children are the ones that are really acting up. You know. So I'm so, curious, Will. I have a sense for maybe what your answer might be, but I I, I want you to maybe uh, elaborate on this. It would be very um, easy for you to leave where you are to say, "Hey, man, I have all this history here. It's a very tough area. I have my own children. I don't want this happening to my own children. I also don't want to be in the environment." that sort of uh, created who I was in the past. And, you know, maybe, maybe I need to move to um, Missouri or to Colorado or to wherever. I need to go to get a fresh start. I need a fresh start. But you right. decided to do exactly the opposite. You decided to stay in South Philly, in the neighborhood where you grew up, in the neighborhood where you committed crimes. Um, why did you decide to do that? Well, when I came home uh, 20 years ago, I decided to do that because it was, for me, it was two reasons. Like, my mom didn't want me to stay here. They all moved away. My sisters and my mom, they all lived in, like, Delaware, another state, or they lived um, another, side of, another side of Philadelphia. But I wanted to come back to my own neighborhood because I was more familiar with my neighborhood. People were more familiar with me there. And I wanted to get back to the community where I caused so much damage at the same time. You know, so I seen as me moving to another part of Philly, or South Philly, I mean, West Philly or North Philly. Then it's like, where I go, I'll go somewhere people don't know me. I mean, young guys don't know me, you know, so uh, it'd be an issue like that, too. Like, who are you? Where you come from? Stuff like that. I mean, I didn't want to deal with none of that nonsense. So I, I still were a place where, though, I, I know people that people knew me growing up and everything else. And then I could have a connection with the streets and people would tell me things anyway. If somebody was thinking something ill about me or saying something ill about me, I would hear somebody tell me. You know, well, this guy's talking bad about you. This guy's talking about why you out in the street. This guy's talking about you killed his homie. So I would hear all those things when I came home. I still would hear those things. And I would address them, you know, in a, in a calm, in a, in a smooth manner, you know, and try to resolve those problems before they got out of hand or before it was talked about too much. You know, so a lot of those problems I did resolve. I mean, they see me as a different person, you know, even though they had grudges against, you know, what I did to the, their friend or their cousin or whatever it was. And I understood that. I mean, I understood that I'm a changed man. People don't mean I changed. I mean, people change and their perspective changed about me until I started putting in some real work. You know what I mean, so yeah. 
um, I, I'd rather came, I'd rather, it was better for me to come back to my own neighborhood. But now I really want to get my children out of this neighborhood. They don't have to grow up in this environment. So once I do really start, you know, making that, that, that $100,000 mark, if you see it, 200000 mark, <laughs> I would get a, um, a house and move them out, you know, out, of, out of the neighborhood, probably somewhere in Delaware too, where they can grow up. One I mean, of my goals in life is I want Will Little to have tax problems. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But a good tax consultant. You know, th- exactly. What I admire so much about that, Will, is what I hear when you share that is you very much have owned your past so that you can move forward in your future. Right. You never shy away from it. Um, it's amazing. We live at a time where it seems like so many people don't want to be candid. So many people don't want to be direct. Uh, so many people don't want to be forthcoming. Um, and, and you are just right there, man. You just own it that you do not, you're not running from anything. Are you? No, I can't. I don't have time to run. I don't have sneakers on. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I also got to ask you, you've been doing a lot of teaching, a lot of talking about emotional intelligence. We talked about it uh, somewhat last time um, you were on. Um, Could you just remind me, give me your definition of emotional intelligence, and then maybe we can talk about why you think this concept, this idea is so important. Well, I think emotional intelligence is the best thing we, we need right now in schools and prisons and in the communities because it allows you to understand yourself you know and when I was in prison like I was I was practicing emotional emotional intelligence before I even knew the terminology or anything about the principles of emotional intelligence so when I decided at the age of 1920 at the time my the first year I was incarcerated and I had my son my older son um, when I decided to change my life around for some reason know I knew that understanding who I was and understanding who I became and understanding who I could be was very important at that moment you know and not only that but I knew I had to start practicing there I knew I had to start changing there in that kind of environment that hostile environment that violent environment that drug infested environment that crazy mentality environment I knew that all the challenges I would have to face once I got on the street would be just as maybe weaker than the ones that are in there. There were stronger challenges inside because you're so congested to all these different personalities, all these different attitudes and energies and stuff like that. So when I started looking at myself and, and, and discovering, discovering my greatness as a kid, who I was and what qualities I had, you know, the innate qualities that I had as a child and how I lost them in my teenage years growing up being, um, being um, a product of my environment. So, that kind of woke me up a lot, taking that self-inventory, understanding that knowledge is very important. So I started, I went back to school, got my GED. Then I started learning from any arena I could learn about anything about life. I don't care if it was a quote, it was a, uh, it was a, um, a speech. It was you studied movie. the great religions a lot, didn't you? Well, I studied a few, not really deeply studied, but the religions that I did know. I grew up a Christian, so I studied the Bible a lot when I was in jail my first couple months in jail, I went back to what I knew. And then um, um, other religions, you know, people try to convert you in prison a lot to different, many different religions. And some of those religions I just thought about, like, I mean, I, I knew that it wasn't good for me. I mean, yeah. because 
certain aspects of racism. I wasn't, I wasn't never taught to be racist um, or to, to associate partners with, with, with God. So I always believed in one God anyway. Even when I was in church, I believed in there was only one God and nobody has seen him. No man has ever seen him based on me reading the Bible. So yeah, I, I got into um, studying Islam more. I mean, after a conversation between uh, um, my fellow Christian and a Muslim at the time. And you and, became a Muslim ultimately, did you not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I became a Muslim. After that conversation between those two, I really started investigating Islam and then um, kind of fell in love with the principles of Islam and where uh, it's kind of what I was thought, I was thinking the whole time as a kid when I was in search of, you know, the purpose of life, in search of why we got to die, in search of uh, who was God, stuff like that. So all these kind of thoughts was in my head even as a six and seven and eight year old because I was so, was so much of an introvert at that time. I ain't had too many people to, to talk to because I was in a house full of women, my mom, grandma, and my sisters. So I was basically a loner and just into my thoughts, you know, in my imagination. So it was easy for me to sit down at that time, that moment, and freeze time when I was in jail to start really thinking again, you know, using one of the greatest gifts that God has given us, the ability to ration out um, certain problems and issues. So I was able to do that and come to the conclusion of that, you know, I need to take these particular steps in order to change this particular character to create that new me that I want to have or I want to be once I get out of prison. You know, and that's where I start the emotional intelligence part started there. Self-awareness, self-development, having a level of empathy, dealing with other people in jail and their problems, their issues, you know, um, being socially aware of what's going on, being able to communicate socially because I wasn't a talker, so I had to learn how to, you know, speak and, and communicate with people and deal with problems. What, what do you mean you weren't a talker, Will? Well, I was real quiet, so I didn't I didn't talk much to, to people I didn't know. I mean, only people I talked to was my friends. I mean, that was it. I mean... So I didn't really communicate with a lot of people. Somebody may speak to me, I speak back. But other than that, no real conversation we would have. I mean, I, find it, I hate to interrupt you, but do you find it ironic that you've become a poet? Well, not really, because I was I was rapping on the streets. You know, I did rap. I wrote raps on the streets, and I did a few, you know, shows and not shows, but you know, parties back then. We had parties, so a few house parties I did. You know, just to share my talent and skill. Uh, I made like a demo when I was younger, um, but that was in. The, the frame of, of being an artist, but my real self, I was really an introvert. So I really didn't talk to a lot of people. I you know, see. you got to be aware. The lifestyle I was living, lifestyle I was living, so you can't really trust everybody. You know, yeah. so, and people didn't trust me. So that's, yeah. that's why. I got to tell you, one of your phrases has stayed with me ever since I first heard you say it, which is, my next choice is my best choice. I love that. Um, yeah. yeah. So you have some great mantras like that. Yes. Yes. Uh, Where does the world a- is the way? That's another one. That's another strong one. Where does the world is the way? So anytime I ran into a problem, uh, fig- I had to figure it out. How I was going to get out of this problem? How I was going to deal with this issue? You know, inside the prisons. So I continued that once I got out of the prisons and it, it served me, served me really good. Yeah. And what does it feel like for you now, Will, that it seems like you tell me that you have many, many people on your side. You know, you have many people who love you, who respect you, who admire you. You have guys like Hoffman and uh, Jeff Hoffman and 
you know, Tim Road and so many right. others, others I know I don't know, but so many in the One Life community um, right. who stand with you and support you and push you and, and promote you and want to hang out with you and, and feel invested in your success. What does it feel like that so many of these people have kind of coalesced around you and your mission? Surreal, man. It's, 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 it's really like loving. It's, it's, it's unbelievable at, at times, too, to think about, you know, people who you just meet within moments. I mean, they, be, they come attached to you. You become attached to them. You know, I just think is that the energy that you put out there, the law of attraction, you know, and like meeting Tim and, and, and he does so much, so much for me that connected me. And, you know, we work together and, and trying to change communities and especially him from the suburbs trying to come out in the inner cities and help change lives in the inner cities. So I never really thought there was a community like this that existed, you know? So just meeting the One Life community and then going to meet the Go Bundance community then meeting like Jeff Hoffman, meeting you, you know, like you yourself, Chris. And it's like, it's beautiful to, to have people that you know that, you know, is, is, is stand for what you stand for. And that's change in our world, you know, and, and promoting and pushing education and peace and, just living, you know, living your best life. You know, there's a song out there now, I'm living my best life. I'm living my best life. I mean, so that's a good song that people want to sing, a feel-good song. But yeah. in reality, I want people to live their best life. So now that's why I'm walking around and talking to people like this young group of guys out here. You know, I just say, look, let's have a session. I mean, I want to sit down and talk to all you guys, I mean, about what you want to do with your life. Because you hustling, you're selling drugs, you're making money, but you don't stay in that cycle for so long, I mean, until you get killed or until you go to jail. So, I mean, it's a, it's a hustling backwards type of um, yeah. um, theory, you know? So now it's like, well, you know, we want to, yeah, we want to talk to you. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to make myself the man for the city when it comes to young men that may find their way. And even adults who need, you know, healing and, 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 and trying to figure out their life and their purpose and things and dealing with the loss of loved ones. I mean, even for them. No, I'm trying to push myself to be that person that goes to God to get more of my people to get into and involved in self-awareness and self-development and growth and empathy, um, the emotional intelligence and how important that is. You know, so I want I want to teach that. I mean, I want to I want to embody that. I mean, and be able to share my experiences through emotional intelligence and show people how they can actually use that you know, as a vehicle or the tool for themselves to implement, practice, teach to their own children and their grandchildren so we can kind of stop the cycle of balance and the cycle of ignorance, you know, in, in all these cities. Yeah. It, it's so powerful and it's so powerful. I mean, it's probably always been powerful, but it feels like even more powerful at this time in the United States. Right. Uh, I, I don't know how I want to say this. I, I, I have fear sometimes that we're going backwards on um, particularly uh, issues of um, the way I think of it is inclusion. You know, some people say diversity. Uh, some people say tolerance. And, and I know what they mean by the word tolerance. I, I don't love the word tolerance. Yeah. Because like human beings shouldn't be tolerating other human beings. Right. I don't, so I don't, I mean, I get what people mean, but, and, and so what do you think about sort of, um, where we are right now? Um, uh, you know, for lack of a better description, Will, on, on race relations and race in, in the United States. 
Well, I, I think it's, it's, it, it has gotten better. I mean, as years progress, you know, with newer generations. You know, the old thinking, the old thinking is still there from some of the older people who have been around in the 60s and 70s when, you know, racism was really heavy back in those times. But now it's being erased by the new generations and the different cultures that are evolving and that it includes all races involved in that. You know, so a lot of younger people are growing up and they ain't thinking on a racist level. They just thinking on a human level, you know, just thinking about you know people in general. So even in my environment, right here in South Philadelphia, where, you know, it was really a lot of racial tension between Italians and blacks, you know, when I when I was growing up. I mean, you can walk over four blocks over from here where I'm at now without getting chased by you know, the white Italian boys with hockey sticks and hockey pucks. And they couldn't come through here at all, you know, without getting chased by bottles and things that they show. Sometimes you would have a race riot between Italians and blacks. But today, now you ride up the street, you see the young kids, Italian and black, hanging out, listening to hip-hop music, smoking weed together, and everything else. So that is being eradicated just through culture and, you know, sports and, and, and music and everything else. You know, it's, it's changing that dynamic. You know, I, I, I love to hear that. It's funny you say those two cultures, you know, because they're two cultures that I'm deeply attracted to, you know. I'm married to an Italian, so, like, I'm, I got I, – and I've for whatever reason, my whole life – I've had lots of Italians and, you know, black people and Italian people in my, you tell me, but seem to share so much, right? Great food, great music, uh, very emotional, very artistic. I don't know the, the the black friends I have and the Italian, I, you know, I got lots of Italians, but they're, they're so similar. <laughs> yes. Yep. But I guess we all are. And that's ultimately the big message, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, how's your corporate speaking, uh, career going? Well, it's not going, nothing is, nothing is happening. I mean, nothing hasn't happened in the last, um, three months. So I'm, I'm trying to push myself out there some kind of way by showing videos, by sharing what I know and hopefully, um, getting with some kind of agency. I don't know who, who's doing all the bookings for speakers or, or trying to put myself out there myself. But uh, I really want so to So we still forward. need to do some more work on that, on the corporate speaking side. Yes. Yeah, All right. Purpose. I'm going to take that as a to-do. I'm going to get you some more corporate speaking gigs, or I'm going to do my best to do that. Yeah, I'm going to set. I'm going to set myself some goals on that. Okay, I appreciate that. I appreciate I'll be, that. I'll I mean, be your yeah. West Coast representation. That's great. I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Now I'm well, thinking more so. I mean, hopefully things will start working out um, for me for the better. I mean, because now I mean, even being financially um, um, like every now and then I get financially stuck with, with funds and money and stuff like that but I know my dream is worth it and I had a patience you know to just try to stick in there I mean I had to lose lose a couple of things that I have I mean as long as I keep my house I'm cool I mean and try to keep up with my car and know I'm good but I know eventually things are you know the ship is selling in that I'll be successful um, financially too as well but I'm more abundant abundance abundance are inside of myself so yeah. i just try to just wait i mean and, and wait and push same time you know and hopefully um, things start picking up and i'll start getting some more speaking gigs if i can do that once a month i mean that'd be great for me or i can do more than once a month that'd be even better you know because i want to go full-fledged just speaking you know so i can have more time to spend with my children like i have more time to um you know do some community service. I mean, volunteer community service out here that, that is really needed and focus really on you know, making a change in all these communities, not just in Philadelphia, but 
know, California, Chicago, Detroit, you know, Michigan, places like that. You know, yeah. be able to travel more and speak. Well, I have a prediction for you, a premonition maybe even. I, I think within five years, you're going to be one of the top 50 corporate speakers in America. Because I, I've been to a lot of management offsites. I've been to a lot of company meetings. And I have never seen a speaker like you. And when I tell people about you, I say, well, Will Little takes the stage. Nobody's on their iPhone, even before you open your mouth. And so uh, we'll just keep pushing on that one. Wow. We'll keep pushing on okay. that one. Yeah. Uh, because you do amazing work in the community already. And I think the corporate world needs you uh, as much as the community world, if I could call it that, needs you. Right. Yeah. So, hey, Will, do you have a poem for me today? A poem? Um, okay, let me see what I can come up with. Um, a poem. I have a few poems that I have, you know, signature poems. They look into his eyes or change. We need change. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. So I use, I do that one, We Need Change. And it's a poem I wrote a long time ago uh, for the district attorney here in the city of Philadelphia when he became inaugurated. So I'm going to give you that one. We need change. I ain't talking about pennies, nickels, quarters, dimes. I'm talking about changing hearts, changing minds, changing the name sign on these dotted lines because I swear we have a problem here. Neighborhoods full of fear, witness stands filled with empty chairs, schools unprepared, so it's best that we prepare to work together as one with the police commissioner, the DA, and the mayor. Today's a new day, new year, with new ideas to share and talk about amongst us so we can put the blindfold back over the eyes of Lady Justice so she can't see race, wealth, or status. I mean, we're living in other matters, and the thugs got better apparatus than the police. And I ain't got to search Iraq and Iran to find weapons of mass destruction because I can find them right here in these silly streets, in these city streets. And it gets deep. If you stare down the walls of City Hall long enough, you might see William Penn weep because this is not what the city was built for. And the Quakers didn't build the first penitentiary to become a revolving door. Then there's more. We need better programs for ex-offenders to become productive citizens. They can't get a job with your job or his job. Then we need to help them create their own small businesses. This is what the business is. Create a safer city, stronger committees, and better town watch in our communities so we can first police ourselves. Reach ourselves and teach ourselves that we don't have to live in vain or die in shame because this is all about change. So here's a penny for your thoughts, a nickel for a kiss, a dime if you tell us you love us. America, do you have at least 16 cents to spare? Thank you. Will Little. <laughs> Will Little. You're unbelievable, man. I, I could listen to you for hours. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Anything else you want to do? I was thinking about doing a YouTube thing with all my poems on it because I know when I do my poems, but you got to write them down. I don't write them down. I just stay in my head. I didn't do no video for them yet. So I'm thinking about just doing a YouTube video with all my poems so you can go in there and check them out anytime you want. Well, to. Why wouldn't you do that, man? Yeah, yeah I'm going to do, I'm gonna do and that. And also, man. you know what? Drop it as a podcast. Okay. You know, if you, how many do you have, roughly? Um, I have a, I don't know. Um, I have a lot, but. The ones I really remember is probably like good 10, 15 of them. Yeah, so if you just record each of them, just like you did right there with me, yeah. as a short YouTube video, you can shoot it on Zoom like we do here on Legends and Losers. You got the video right. and the audio. You drop the video on YouTube. You drop the audio into uh, the Will Little podcast stream. 
And you got, you know, 10, 15, 20 episodes of your short poetry just sitting right there for the whole world anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I also think this is just a side note, but uh, because I think the world needs lots of you and and lots of you on a regular basis. I also think you should do a regular podcast where you share your thoughts. Maybe you share some things about some of the conversations you're having, uh, some of the stuff going on in your life. Maybe some of the folks that you're working with, some of your friends can be on the show. Uh, but right. but I'd encourage you to think about a podcast where you know we get we get a sliver of Will's life and and some of the people in your life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, brother. Stuff. Anything else you want to touch on before we wrap today? Um. No, just a, just a, um, TEDx. They want to check out the TEDx talk. You can Google me. I mean, you can YouTube me. Will Little. You can find that on there. We'll put and all that stuff in the show notes. Yeah. Check I love out your TEDx bro. talk. That 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 that. that that moment where you take off the the, uh, yeah. the prison outfit yes. is, is so powerful. Yeah, yeah everybody you. needs to see that. And then I would love it when um, when when we know exactly when the documentary is coming out for you to come back and maybe give us a little summary of the documentary, and we can let everybody know how to get it. Okay. And I'd also sure. I would uh, please tell uh, Kadir I'm dying to meet him. And okay. uh, maybe we can do that as well when, when the movie's coming out, uh, the documentary, to have the two of you come on and talk together. I, I personally want to meet them and uh, having watched you guys together uh, on, uh, on Facebook and stuff. Uh, you guys have a really good, a really great chemistry, you know. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So please say hi to him for me and let him know that um, I'd love to have the two of you back on. Okay, sure will. Sure will. Yeah. All right. Anything else, brother? That's oh, it, hey, brother. I got one other question for you. What's that? What advice would you give to men who want to have a Will Little beard? <laughs> well, I'll say this. Just if it's growing, just let it grow. Don't let it irritate you. Don't get frustrated with it, how slow it grows or how fast it's going. Just let it grow and comb it and just baby oil it up. A lot, just keep a comb in your hand, just keep combing it, and then it continue to grow and just have patience. You know, a lot of people don't have patience, so they come in the shop, like, cut it off. Oh, it's not, it got spots, it's spots here. You're going to have spots, you know, because hair grows quicker in other places on your face than other. Sometimes it may grow full and then cover up that spot too, as well, until that spot comes in. So um, I just I just let it grow. I don't bother, I don't, no specific shampoo, no oils, nothing like that, just baby oil I just use. Nothing um, special. And just I just comb it out all the time, and I wash it at least once a week or twice a week. That's it. That sounds like good life advice, too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, brother. Anything else? That's it. I want to thank you, Chris, for being so supportive of my work, man. I love you, man, and um, and just just being in my life, man. I appreciate you a whole whole lot, man. I, I love you. I'm here for you forever. Uh, I've shared this with many people. If you had told me that. Um, uh, I, I would uh, fall in love, have a bromance uh, with a guy that has your background. I would have told you at one point in my life, I didn't think that was possible. So I just want you to know, you have changed me. You make me a better man. And I appreciate you every bit as much as hopefully you appreciate me. But I really appreciate you, Will. Yeah, I appreciate you a whole lot, um, Chris. You just don't know. I appreciate the One Life community, especially Tim Rose. I mean, real great person, Brian Rocha. You know, um, Shay, we all those all those guys in One Life. Everybody's a part of that. Even Go Bundes crew. You know, I love all those guys, especially the guys I just met. There's some good, good fellas, good people to be around. 
and they good, have great energy. They're real supportive of, of me and, and the things that I'm doing too as well. So I'm yeah. Going Are you going to be at the One Life event in Sacramento in October? Yes, I'm going. I'm speaking there in October. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Will ju- uh, um, Tim just texted me about that. Will so uh, we're sorting it out now. But I think I'm going to come to that um, that event. So hopefully I'll see you in October. Yep. Great. All right, brother. Yep. Stay legendary, as I know you will. Whew. That conversation, I believe, is a great example of the power of podcasting. Before the podcast, there was really no way to capture and share that kind of conversation and uh, and certainly share it at scale. Now, um, driving growth is pretty much what every business needs to do. But growth can be a double-edged sword because managing growth and scaling is a huge challenge. Uh, now's the time to create the platform for your growth. The good people at NetSuite offer you a powerful growth engine, a platform for all of the key areas of your business, from accounting to distribution to uh, commerce, web optimization, multi-channel commerce, uh, supply chain, and more. Over 40,000 leading companies from industries as diverse as advertising, consulting, energy, financial services, manufacturing, software, and more rely on NetSuite. They are the category king in uh, ERP for uh, growth-oriented businesses. And as a listener to this podcast, they are offering you a great opportunity, a one-hour growth review with an expert in your industry. So why not go to netsuite.com slash different right now and get yourself set up for that growth review, netsuite.com slash different. Also, as a reminder, you can find us at uh, lockhead.com, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D. We always love it when you subscribe there. because when you subscribe through a podcast app like Apple or Overcast or Stitcher or any of these others, we don't know you're there. The only way we know you're there, the only way we can have a direct relationship with you is uh, when you go to lockhead.com and you give us your email address. We don't sell that email address to anybody. And uh, all we do is use it to communicate with you what's going on. And we try to do that pretty sparingly. Also, if you want to connect with me on Twitter, I'm at Lockhead. All right. We would like to thank Niche Down, How to Become Legendary by Being Different, the number one bestseller by Heather Clancy and myself. Why not check it out today on Amazon.com? A podcast that I love and I've been stoked to be a guest on called the Mission Daily Podcast. I think these folks at the Mission are doing uh, really cool revolutionary things in the area of building a new model media company and they help others build media companies. Check out the Mission Daily Podcast. OneLifeFullyLive.org. Dream, plan, and live your best life. This is the nonprofit started by my good friend Tim Rode. Dream, plan, and live your best life at OneLifeFullyLive.org. Now, if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to grow yourself and your business, why not check out growwire.com? This is the great new place on the internet uh, for incredible content. Uh, there's a podcast called GrowWire. There's a YouTube channel called GrowWire. I blog there. Heather has blogged there and lots of other smart people. Check out growwire.com. Now, are you feeling a little whelmed? You got a lot to do? A little bit under the bus? Why not be driving the bus with Bottleneck Virtual Assistance? Uh, a virtual assistant is something that will allow you to scale yourself. Check out bottleneck.online. Now, are you in the B2B space? Are you in Silicon Valley, San Francisco area? 
check out atre.net, A-T-R-E dot N-E-T. They, for decades now, have been the leader in the Bay Area in delivering B2B websites that represent your company the way your best people do. Check out atre.net as soon as you can. And um, speaking of nonprofits that I love, Habitat for Humanity. Habitat's vision is of a world where everyone has a decent place to live. Why not check out habitat.org when you get a chance? All right. We need to remind you that this podcast is a sole property of the the Lockhead Oddcast Network, and we would love it if you shared the shit out of it. All rights do remain perturbed. We must warn you that this podcast is clearly produced in a studio that does contain nuts. Remember to teach kids peace. Fishing for a good time starts with throwing in your line. Buy John's crazy socks. Don't be lame. Get out of the passing lane. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this oddcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Christine Comerford. Sorry, Christine. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with me. Uh, It really does mean the world to me, and I appreciate it. And until we meet again, follow your difference.